Proverbs chapter 10, and we're going to be dealing tonight uh, with verses 8 through 19, 8 through 19 this evening, and we're going to be considering the subject of the pratting fool, the pratting fool. Proverbs 10, beginning there in verse number 8, we're just going to read this verse as our text, and then we're going to go through tonight in a purely verse-by-verse basis. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to go verse-by-verse all the way down through verse 19. So that'll kind of be the the outline that you'll have. There is an outline in your handout tonight as well that'll give us the main idea, and then we'll go over those particular verses. But look with me at verse number 8 of Proverbs 10. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. That expression that we're looking at tonight, the pratting fool shall fall, this expression or the word pratting literally means a chattering or a fool of lips. It's also mentioned in verse 10. Now, this particular section between verses 8 and verse 19 uh, bring us to a, 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 a finality of the particular subjects we've been looking at as far as those that are related to Proverbs 10, verse number 1. In other words, once we get beyond uh, verse 19, uh, it, the, the direction is the same, uh, but it's not quite as connected to the very first verse of Proverbs 10. And we remember, of course, what Proverbs 10, verse Verse 1 tells us that the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. As we think about this particular section in this particular verse, we connect the thought that's found there in verse 8 about the wise in heart, connecting it again with verse number 1 about a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And we can come to this particular statement, that the wise in heart will be a joy to their fathers because they receive and follow his commandments. In other words, to receive and follow the commandments of a father is to walk in the way of wisdom. Uh, That's what demonstrates what really is in the heart, how we walk. Uh, We might say that we walk a particular way, and we might say that this is what we believe, but it is in fact the way that we walk and what our outward conduct is that demonstrates are we really, truly wise in heart. Now that phrase, the wise in heart, is an interesting phrase. What does it mean to be wise in heart? It doesn't just mean the, the, the organ that's in our chest. The heart refers to the mind and the will and our emotions. In other words, wisdom is truly found in the totality of man. It's not just found in the mind. It's not just found in our will. It's not just found in our emotions. It is found in our heart. It is the totality of these things. And the wise in heart are called those that will receive commandments, but a pratting fool shall fall. Now, we haven't read all these verses yet, but if we, if we were to give an overview of verses 8 through 19, there are really three thoughts, and these are written down there in your, in your handout. You see in verses 8 through 10, the wise in heart walks uprightly, but the pratting fool walks a crooked path. We'll look at that in those verses 8 through 10. Number two, the wise in heart is a wellspring of life. 
but the prating fool will be ruined, verses 11 through 14. Number three, the wise in heart accepts correction, but the prating fool refuses reproof, verses 15 through 19. So let's go through these verses and dealing, first of all, with that overriding heading there of the wise in heart walks uprightly, but the prating fool walks a crooked path in verses 8 through 10. The wise in heart will receive commandments. In other words, the wise in heart will accept commands. Now, all of us should desire to be wise. I don't think there's anybody here tonight that would say, I don't want to be counted as someone who is wise. But who truly is a wise man? Uh, We might respond by saying a wise man is Solomon. What made Solomon wise? Solomon was wise because he received commandments. He accepted the commandments of God. He doesn't admit to any other that uh, he, he desires to hearken to their instruction before he hearkens to the instruction of God himself. He receives to accept those commandments or to receive those commandments is to receive the instruction with meekness. Now, we are in fact wise individuals. When we receive the instruction from parents, we receive instruction from our teachers, and we receive instruction, of course, from the Word of God. But to receive instruction is not just to take it in, it's to receive it with a cheerfulness. In other words, I want to cheerfully receive the commandments. I want to be instructed and I want to have understanding. A person who is wise in heart, who walks uprightly, is more ready to hear than they are to speak. And his feet, because he's willing to hear, he stands in a very solid place. Now we see on the contrast of that, the prating fool walks a crooked path. What does it mean to walk a crooked path? Or the Bible tells us a prating fool shall fall. Uh, A crooked path is one who we see in verse number nine. It says, he that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. This prating fool, this is a person who is a chatterer. It's a person who is foolish with their lips. It's a person who talks endlessly without saying anything. They talk things of vanity. They talk things of sinful words. They might speak proud words. They may speak words that are senseless. And they, the words that they speak bring contempt upon themselves. Most people who are prating fools are people who speak malicious things. They speak words that provoke. It's to have an ungoverned tongue. In other words... That ungoverned tongue means it says whatever it wants to say. Again, demonstrating what's in the heart. So a prating fool cannot be titled as a wise in heart. So we see the difference here. The wise in heart walks uprightly. The prating fool walks a crooked path. And we see in verse number nine, he that walketh uprightly walketh surely. That means he walks with confidence. You can see the mark of his life. We can discern his character by how he walks, where he walks, where his feet take him. The man who walks uprightly walks in a correct way. He walks in a way that is ruled or governed by truth. So what governs our walk? 
Our walk is governed by the Word of God. How I walk, how I speak, where I go is regulated by the rule and the instruction of the Word of God. A man who walks uprightly is a man of integrity. A person who wants to walk upright is upright because he walks with integrity. He walks surely. His path is sure. His path is stable. He doesn't want to be deceitful. He doesn't want to misguide or mislead. He makes Christ his pattern. And when we think about what is our pattern in life, do do we follow the pattern of a hero of our day or do we follow the pattern of the authority of the word of God? To walk securely or to walk surely there is to be able to stand even in the face of an enemy. And that's important. Because when we think about walking surely, we need to understand that our confidence is because we have the authority of what the Word of God has instructed us. But it does say about the man that perverteth his ways, or the man who we can say, it can be translated, walks a crooked path, it says, his way shall be known. In other words, he who walks these crooked paths walks in a manner that will eventually be found out. He will not be able to hide it forever. He might put on a cloak to hide what he really is. Uh, We think about an example might be uh, Judas Iscariot, and we understand the theological truths to Judas and his appointment by God to be the betrayer. But understand, Judas put on a cloak that he was a disciple. He appeared to be walking righteously. He appeared to be walking uprightly, but what he really was doing is he was walking a crooked path. He was not being regulated by truth. He was not being regulated by the word of God. He was being regulated by his own covetousness. He was being regulated by his own selfish desires. So it would be fair to say that the man who walks crooked paths is often a hypocrite. He walks one way, but his desires are really another. Verse 10 says, He that winketh with the eye causes sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. It's interesting, this phrase, he that winketh with the eye causes sorrow. To wink with the eye, uh, it is the the, the tense here or the tone is to wink as to give a signal. A signal to maybe another individual who's a, we'll refer to them as, as as a partner in their sin. In other words, they're winking to somebody else to pull them into their mischief or their misbehavior. Notice what it says. He says, this man causes sorrow to another person, but because he does that, the man that winks with the eye causes sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. In other words, this man, as he winks the eye, he causes sorrow and it will eventually fall back on him. He will, in fact, come to ruin. So a chattering fool, this prating fool, a fool who who boasts, but he has really no desire to walk uprightly. So we see this, that the wise in heart walk uprightly. The prating fool walks a crooked path. Verse 11 through 14, we see that the wise in heart is a wellspring of life, but the prating fool will be ruined. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. What a beautiful expression. The well of life can also be thought of as a fountain of life. A man who speaks 
wisdom speaks as a well of life. His, his words are life-giving. A man who speaks with words of wisdom doesn't tear down with his words, but he gives life to the hearer. The hearer is made alive by what they hear. Much is spoken by the wise man about the government of the tongue or controlling the tongue. Listen, the man who learns how to bridle his tongue and to speak righteously is a man who has gained control over his tongue. Listen, it's been said scripturally, if you can control your tongue, you can bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue, you can control the entirety of your body. But guess how hard the tongue is to control. Guess how many times do we find ourselves in life uh, finding something uh, being said about us or spoken about us or said to us, and the first thing we want to do is we want to speak the first thing that comes to our mouth. That's often the most dangerous thing you can ever say. Very often, when you say those words, those words will be wrong. Those words will be words that are words of, uh, to strike back at instead of saying, wait a minute, let me govern what I say and gain control before I even think about speaking. You see, that's a lesson that we all need to learn. But the mouth of a righteous man or the mouth of a man who is walking uprightly is a well of life. He utters words, he speaks words that are refreshing to people. You know, I'm, I'm challenged often in my own life about how many edifying conversations do I have? Are my conversations that I have with people edifying? Or do I spend more time tearing someone else down? Now again, make no mistake about it, we're all guilty of getting caught up in the moment of something, right? And we're all guilty of getting caught up in, in just saying the first thing that comes to our mind. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, it happens so fast. And before you know it, you've been speaking the non-edifying things for hours only to realize, wait a minute, this, this is not a fountain of life. These are not words of life. We ought to speak words that speak of the reality of our relationship with God. That's why the Bible tells us, let our speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. It's really kind of an amazing truth. We have to be reminded to make our mouths a wellspring of life. But on the other hand, it says, violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. We might translate this this way, violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. You see, the mouths of the wicked are, have nothing good to be found in them. They are like a poison fountain. They're like the fountain that looks like the water in the fountain is good, but all that's in that water is death. It's like poisoned water. Violence breathed out from their mouths, that violence turns back on them. It brings them into their own condemnation. So this is very serious when we see the wellspring of life, the fountain of life in comparison to the overwhelming of the mouth of the wicked. Verse 12 talks about hatred. It says, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. 
A man said this, hatred is so hateful a thing that no man will acknowledge it in himself. Think about that for a minute. Hatred is so hateful of a thing that no man will acknowledge it in himself. In other words, we don't realize how often hatred might be the very very, uh, force behind what we're saying. But notice what it says. Hatred stirreth up strife. To stir up strife means it stirs up dissension. What is dissension? It's division. A man may say he doesn't hate, but how he speaks demonstrates the fruit of his life. A man may say, I don't hate anyone. But if he speaks hateful words, that's the fruit you'll know him by. You say you don't hate people, but your words speak hatred. They cause division. They cause strife. What is it that provokes one person to provoke another person to anger? It's hatred. If I intentionally desire to to provoke another person, I am demonstrating hatred. So if the only reason for my interaction with a person is to stir up wrath or to stir up trouble, I am in fact showing the fruit of my own heart is being governed by hatred. Because I should not, as a child of God, want to stir up strife in anybody. That shouldn't be my motivation. My motivation should not be, I want to provoke that person. You see, we understand that when we stir up dissension or we stir up strife, as the Bible tells us, these are things that cause harm to the object of that hatred. But then he says this, but love covereth, notice this word, all sins. Think about this for a minute, folks, all sins. Love covers all sins. Not some of them, not most of them, not a majority of them, all sins are covered. What a, what a strange word that is. Love covers. How do we demonstrate love? We forgive those that have offended us. We, we drop from our remembrance as forgive. The true forgiveness is to drop from our remembrance what that person did to us. Sins here, all sins covered by Love. Really an amazing thought there. Verse 13, In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Notice this. He says, Wisdom, or in the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. The word understanding is also the word discernment. In the lips, what a man says. A man that has understanding does what? Wisdom is found. Or we might put it this way. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. He who is wise in heart will receive reproof. 
That's a mark of a wise man. A wise man will receive reproof. He understands. He not only shows wisdom when he speaks, but he also shows wisdom when he hears. A lot of us are very good at speaking wisdom, but we're not very wise in listening and receiving instruction. That's why Solomon says the wise in heart will receive commandments. This is not just about governing your tongue about what you say. It's also about the reality that we are supposed to demonstrate wisdom and even how we listen, how we hear. And he's getting to this. We haven't read these texts. That's why we're going verse by verse. And you'll see this is leading us into this idea. Because he says at the end of verse 13, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding, which means there's a punishment that comes to the man who does not have discernment. He doesn't have wisdom, but he also says there's a punishment that comes because he, he is lacking in this. He is, in fact, what we see in verse 14, he is inviting his own destruction. Verse 14 tells us about wise men again. Wise men lay up knowledge. To lay up means to store. We learn that as we receive knowledge, as we receive these commandments, our heart The mind, the will, the emotion becomes what we'll refer to as a storehouse. It becomes a place in which we lay up the treasure of wisdom. In other words, we we treasure what we're learning. We treasure what we're receiving. How do we get those things? We get them by reading the Bible. We get them by meditating. We get them by even what appears to be simple, and some would say the foolish idea of sitting and listening to the preaching of sermons. We store up knowledge by holy conversations. We store up knowledge by observation, by experience, by prayer. We understand that as wisdom is Christ itself, we understand that there can be no wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. But a wise man stores up this knowledge. Why does a man store something? Because he considers it valuable. If you take the time to put something away and lay it up and store it away, you find that there is value in that. And because you've taken the time to store it up, you value it, you're going to protect it. You're going to do whatever it takes to protect that storehouse of knowledge. You take care to be reminded of it. And not only do you keep it for yourself, but you use your mouth, you use your words to encourage someone else. But it says on the other side, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. You see, fools don't lay up knowledge and important, valuable things. Fools lay up lies. They lie up vain things. They store up malicious stories. They store up gossip. They store up the things that will then be spoken by their ungoverned tongue. The destruction of somebody else. You see, the principle here is the wise, they both store something up but the wise man stores up 
the things that are valuable, the treasures of God, the fool stores up malicious, wicked things. And make no mistake about it, every individual falls into one of those categories. We're either finding ourselves storing up the treasures of God or we're storing up the maliciousness. And yet for the wise man or the wise in heart, he stores up things that are valuable. That's why he's a wellspring of life. He speaks words that give life, not actual physical life or eternal life, but they give their words of life. Their words are the reminder of the goodness of God. But this chattering, foolish lips that speak nothing but mischievous, uh, malicious, vicious things will come to ruin. And then we see these last four verses, or five verses, 15 through 19, the wise in heart accepts correction, but the prouding fool refuses reproof. Verse 15 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. It's an interesting phrase, rich man's wealth is his strong city. We have to ask ourselves the question, are there really people who have put their trust and their hope in wealth? That's what he's saying it is. He said the rich man, his wealth is his strong city. He truly believes that his protection, his safety is found in his wealth. But notice what it says. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. In other words, it's his own conceit, his own arrogance that says, my safety, my security is found in my riches. But it's only to him. He thinks it will be sufficient. He thinks this is all that I will ever need. He thinks that I'm spared from destruction because of what my earnings have been. He's guilty of this. He's guilty of not making God his his confidence. What is he doing? He is trusting in something that is nothing. Now, look, folks, we all need money. We all need financial things. This is not an indictment that says everybody who has money is a rich and you're trusted. That's not what he's saying at all. He's given the illustration that the rich man who does this is finding himself in very near to destruction. Because God is not his confidence. He trusts his riches. He thinks it's a strong city, but it's really nothing more than a city without walls. Why do you think Jesus himself declared how hard it was for a rich man to obtain entrance into heaven. Because he knew that man would make riches his confidence. He knew that a rich man, if he's not careful, would trust his own wealth over his trust in God. And that's, in fact, what this rich man is doing. He's made his riches his strong city. The reality is this. It's an absolute miracle if a man finds himself with riches that doesn't trust in them. You hear what I'm saying? It's a, it's a miracle of God. If you find a rich man, and there are plenty out there, who are not trusting in that as their confidence, 
That's the miracle of God. Because if you go out into the streets and you ask individuals and you say, a man, where do you find your, where is your security? Where is your safety? A man who is wealthy, who has not been touched by the, the eye-opening of God will say, I'm comfortable because of what I have. Folks, it's a miracle that we trust in God. It's a miracle of God's doing that you and I can gather together and we can say, I don't trust in anything temporal. I trust in God. God is my strong city. Not my wealth, not my things. God is my confidence. But we understand, as he says in verse 16, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Notice he connects labor and righteousness. Labor is also referred to as we, we earn wages for our labor. So he's saying here that the wages of the righteous bring them life. In other words, as we've talked about these many different things, there's a grand difference between the righteous and the wicked, not only in this life, but in the life to come. He's saying here that the labor of a righteous man is blessed by God. And it doesn't, it doesn't just provide for the necessities of life. It, it helps make his life comfortable, but it also plays a role in his eternal life. We understand here he's not talking about working for his eternity. But when we understand that our confidence and our faith and our trust is in the righteous things of God, it's, it, 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 it keeps us from the temptation of trusting in something else. I mean, think about how crazy you are considered to many of the world that you trust in an unseen God. You trust in something that you cannot see while most of the world's trusting in something that they have. But he says that the fruit of the wicked to sin. So on the opposite of the work of a righteous man, the labor of a righteous man, which brings life, the fruit of the wicked man's labors brings sin. Oftentimes, the rich who are trusting in their riches are often guided by covetousness or spending the entirety of their life gratifying things that are vain and fleeting. But then he says, verse 17, he, he is in the way of life. Notice that. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But he that refuseth reproof erreth. He that he is in the way of life that keeps instruction. In other words, you can see those who are in the way of God by what his life demonstrates. What does his life demonstrate? He keeps instruction. Goes all the way back to verse number eight. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. A wise man heeds obeys discipline. Something cannot be considered truly kept or truly received, rather, if it isn't kept. In other words, if I say I'm receiving instruction, but then I don't keep any, I don't do anything with it, have I really received it? The answer is no. The instructions that we receive 
As children, we receive it from parents. We receive it from teachers. As we get older, we, start, we, we continue to receive it from, from maybe pastors and ministers, other wise people. We ought to consider all of those truths we get from people who are wise in heart. We ought to esteem those as treasured things. If you're fortunate enough to sit under the instruction of wise parents and ministers and, and wise people, consider it a thing to be treasured. Some of the wisest things that we ever hear in our life are given to us in a means or a way of discipline. Discipline is the very thing that gives us that favorable outcome that is glorifying to God. The way of happiness, folks, is the way of heeding the commandments. See, a lot of people want to be happy in Jesus, but they don't want to follow and obey the commandments of God. I want happiness. I want to, I want to have nice things. I want this, this, and this. But you ask, are you keeping his commandments? Folks, the way you know that you know Christ is if you desire to keep his commandments. Look, if, if you say, I just, I, just want, I just want the good things God has to offer. I don't want to obey. I don't want to keep commandments. You have to ask yourself the question, am I really in Christ if I have no desire to keep his commandments? Folks, one of the greatest treasures in our life is when somebody loves us enough and is wise enough to reprove us when we're wrong. This new parenting style of today that says, let the child make their own mistake is a horrific, horrific way to parent. They need our reproof. But you and I need to remember that even as we get older, we need to be reproved. If we're wrong, it needs to be done right, but we need reproof. We need correction. And the wise in heart says, listen, I'm going to receive that instruction and I'm not just going to receive it. I'm going to store it up and I'm going to keep it. Oftentimes now we have this judgmental spirit, even in wrong Christianity that said, listen, uh, you don't have a right to correct me. That shows what's wrong with your heart. If you think they're looking at it as a right, no, they're doing that out of love. And if you understand the wise in heart is going to receive this, not reject it. Folks, listen, I, I've had people in my life who had to come right up in my face and say, you need to straighten this out. Now, it wasn't just because they didn't like it. There, was biblical, there were biblical things and there was biblical truth at the heart of it. And it was like, you need to get this straight. You see, it, the person who heeds that instruction, who receives it, they receive it with thankfulness. Why? Because that's what the wise in heart do. It's the pratting fool, the one who speaks without saying anything that gives life, that brings on himself his own destruction. And we see that. Verse 17, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. He's like a man who's sick. And he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, here's the medicine to take. And he says, I don't want to take the medicine. What happens to the man? The man gets sicker. The man maybe dies. He's so stubborn, he would rather risk his life than to follow the prescription that the doctor gave him. It happens in Christianity. People are given the prescription, if you will, for their issue, for their problems, and they would rather risk 
getting sicker spiritually than to heed the reproof and instruction from somebody else. There's really so many truths in this section. And we finish this section off in verses 18 and 19, pretty connected. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. We might say about verse 18, we may say it this way. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips and whosoever spreads slander is a fool. A person who indulges in such things by hiding his hatred is a fool. How would a person do that? He might hide it under the mask of a friendship. It might be somebody who pretends to be close to you, but really they're not close to you. Underneath all that, it's really lying lips. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. And by the way, slander is not just saying something that isn't true. Slander is even doing it about something that is true. I slander people when I speak badly of them, even if I'm saying something that is true. There are people, sadly, who've made it their life's work to slander other people. And sadly, even in our Christian circles, this is happening. Seems to be they have all the the juicy gossip and they have all the slander on people. Slander is an intent to destroy. Slander is hatred. To slander is to have wicked lips. It's to be this pratting fool. It's interesting, verse 19, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. We might say when words are many, sin is present. You see, this chattering fool, this pratting fool, has all sorts of expressions. He speaks vain words, pride-filled words. He speaks without consideration. He loves to hear himself talk. Even foolish talk, he finds that it's valuable. In reality, it's not. It's interesting, the Bible even says that our idle words can be sinful. If we're saying idle things just for the sake of saying them, those kinds of words are forbidden. But we're not supposed to engage in just idle talk. Now again, he says, but he who holds his tongue or he who refrains, there's that governing the tongue again, is wise. Listen, if we claim to be wise in heart, there must be a governing of our tongues. Think before we speak. Think before we act. Folks, listen, there, there's wisdom in the reality that even if something needs to be addressed and even if something needs to be spoken, there's a time and a right place for those. Sometimes you're going to be dead level right, and the right thing for you to do is actually to govern your tongue and say nothing at that moment. <laughs> that is difficult to do. Because we, in our own nature, want our point to be made, and we might be right, but there's a time and there's a place for these things. Sometimes we even have to wait to speak good to somebody else. You say, but what I'm saying is good, but it might be ill-timed. 
We often find ourselves being guilty of not refraining our tongues by our own multitude of words. You realize, and this maybe you don't think about this, we can become a prating fool in our prayer. You know, if, if we're praying publicly, we can get to a place where we, start, we turn from praying to God to praying to impress the hearers around us. In other words, we start off with the intention of praying to God, but then we realize we've got an audience. I want them to be impressed with how I pray. We've got to be careful about those things. We've got to be careful about even in our preaching. Why, why do we preach? Why do we teach and say the things that we say? Sometimes we sin when we give advice to people. Sometimes our advice is filled with things that really it would have been wiser if we'd have governed our tongue and not said anything at all. The governing of the tongue, we're going to talk about this next week, about the tongue of the just, but this is kind of a preview for that. How we control our tongue reveals the, the self-control we have over our entire body. Show me a person who says, I've got, I have my body under subjection, I have my body under control, but has no control over his mouth, and I will tell you that man has no control over any of his faculties. A man might refrain from sin with his body per se, but he sins with his tongue. If his mouth is still sinning, then the rest of his body is out of control. The governing of the tongue, the governing of the mouth, that's why he describes him as this pratting fool. There is a time to speak when our words are right. They're biblical. They may be useful, but there's also a time when we need to refrain, hold our tongue. So we learn in just this section, we learn the virtues of righteousness and the wise in contrast with the follies and foolishness of the unrighteous. Very quickly, we learn that the unrighteous refuse instruction and will fall. Number two, that the righteous walk uprightly and are a wellspring of life to others. The righteous who walk uprightly try to maintain peace and harmony. They speak wisely and they store up true knowledge, which is the knowledge of God. They accept correction. They think before they speak. Such a simple, practical thing. But we see that there is the shame and the ruin that comes on those who refuse, the pratting fool. The pratting fool is one who will not be governed. He won't be taught. He will not take advice. They're fools. And yet he says scripturally that what they're doing is they're acting against themselves. They're defying their own interest. They're full of nonsense and they're full of themselves. A pratting fool speaks maliciously against those that try to admonish them, who try to help them, who try to give them counsel. Of all fools, there's no fool more troublesome than a prating fool, one who's a chattering of his lips. The Bible says he will fall. In some cases, I believe that he's referring to he will fall not only into sin, but he'll fall into hell. The pratting fool will allow himself to go so far away to re from receiving commandments, his own, soul will be, his own soul will be led to hell. A pratting fool is one who's full of his own tongue. <laughs> 
He's full of his own tongue, and he seldom, if ever, looks at where his feet are taking him. See, that's why we go back to where we see the wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. I hope we'll learn the lessons from what we've seen tonight. Next week, we'll deal with the tongue of the just. This, this, this particular subject goes on, and this chapter ends with talking about the lips of the righteous. All right? So let's finish with our reading from the Valley of Vision tonight, and as in correlation with our completion of the book of Revelation, this is found on page 48. Uh, if you have a copy of the Valley of Vision, and it's entitled The Second Coming. The Second Coming. O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou wast incarnate, did suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word, promises, sacraments show thy death until thou come again. That day is no horror to me, for thy death has redeemed me. Thy spirit fills me. Thy love animates me. Thy word governs me. I have trusted thee, and thou hast not betrayed my trust. Waited for thee and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise my body from the dust and reunite it to my soul. By a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the ocean waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stars in their courses, and gives life to all creatures. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body a spiritual body, this dishonored body a glorious body, this weak body a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance. For the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with. The sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. And after judgment, peace, rest, life and service, employment and enjoyment for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith and ever looking for Christ's return. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer this evening. Our Father, we thank you for the time we've had this very night. And Lord, we thank you for the instruction of your word. Lord, I pray that these truths might be sealed in our hearts and that we might not easily forget them. Father, continue to give us wisdom and understanding and discernment as we study your word. And Lord, may you instruct us and teach us through the Spirit to be a people who have governed over their mouths, over their lips, over their words, what they say. Lord, may we be people who demonstrate a wellspring of life, that our words are life-giving. May we not be like the prating fool, speaking chattering words, words that do nothing but bring wickedness, sin, and destruction. Help us to speak forth words of peace and joy. But Lord, may we speak the words of God. Father, thank you for this evening. I pray you'll give us safety as we go our separate ways. And Lord, prepare our hearts to come back again this coming Sunday when we can worship again together in spirit and in truth. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.